Well, hello, church family. We're glad you've chosen to tune in today. These are interesting times, aren't they? We are experiencing something that we've never encountered before. And here at Beaver, we're trying to do our part, performing social distancing, uh, not meeting in groups of uh, more than 10. Um, we want to do our part and be faithful in that. And as a church family, we've been walking recently with individuals that have lost loved ones. Some have been experiencing difficulties in their marriages. Others have been ill. And we've been walking through these situations with these brothers and sisters. As the scriptures tell us, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. We want to lock arms and help our brothers and sisters through these difficulties like losing a loved one, having family difficulties and going through various illnesses. But this pandemic, it's something that we all are ex experiencing together. This uncertainty is uh, experienced by every one of us. So what I want to do today is just remind us that God is absolutely sovereign over disease, over disasters and calamities. Isaiah 45, 7 says, the Lord says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So just want to encourage us as a church to trust our sovereign Lord, knowing that this, uh, even this pandemic, this virus, points us to our need for Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Don't fear those who kill the body but can't, kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, people often don't see their need for a Savior until they are in need, until they are afraid. We see this pandemic um, in some ways as a mercy of God. So let's be the church, Beaver Baptist. Let's look for opportunities to love the lost, to share the gospel with those who are hopeless, and let's Love each other well, making sure that our church family have needs that aren't um, being met. We need to meet those needs. We need to love our, uh, our church family, love one another. Um, we are excited. Uh, Pastor Scott Plath and his wife Jennifer, they're here today all the way from Rigby, Idaho. Scott is a pastor of South Fork Outdoorsman Church. Um, they're one of our partnering churches, and we are uh, getting ready to send a team, Lord willing, to them this summer to help them in their work. He was scheduled to be here today, but because of this pandemic, he feels the need to be back home uh, with his church family, and rightly so. And as a result, we're recording this message. Um, and for the next few weeks, I want to let you know we'll uh, live stream our messages uh, at 10.30 on Sundays. But Pastor Scott, he'll be coming in a bit to teach us from God's Word and tell us what God is doing there in Rigby. So let's... Uh, this time we'll we'll sing together and brother Scott will come and teach us in just in just a bit
Scripture reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 10. It'll be verses 11 through 17. Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 17. Verse 11. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news! But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what He has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Christ, Amen. 
Baptist Church, it is great, great to be with you. I can't even tell you how good it is to be here. Um, I want to start this morning with a, a story, and I'm going to ask you to just imagine for a moment, to use your imagination. It's going to be a stretch for you, I'm sure, but imagine that there is a worldwide pandemic. Imagine that this pandemic is a virus, but this virus is not spread like a typical virus, germ to germ. This virus is one that is inherited. This virus is not isolated to geographic locations of exposure, but this virus infects every person on the planet. This virus, its symptoms are more serious than fever, more serious than body aches and coughs and respiratory distress. This virus's symptoms are largely invisible until it runs its course and ends in death for all infected. Now imagine you, once suffering and dying from this very virus, have been healed. Not only have you been healed of this virus, but you've been made resistant to that virus. And not only healed and made resistant, but you have been given the cure to the virus. Given that cure that you would share with others that have been infected, that are headed for sure death. And the question this morning is, how might we respond? These questions sum up a mindset that is central to missions, and I believe is missions in a nutshell. The world is infected, not with coronavirus, but with the virus of sin. And we have the cure. The cure is nothing more and nothing less than Christ and his death on the cross. And the question becomes, how can we be used by God as those healed, those made immune, and those gifted with the cure? How might we respond in the distribution of the antidote? This is a mission mindset, and it is God's plan of salvation for the lost. In the few moments we have together, I want to share a passage from Romans that, that Morgan read just a few moments ago. And, and, and normally what I would like to do is spend the bulk of my time explaining that passage verse by verse, word by word. But this morning what we're going to do is a little bit different. I want to share a few things from that passage and then I want to share how that passage has informed me and my family and the planting of South Fork Outdoorsman Church in little old Rigby, Idaho. Turn, if you're in your Bibles, to Romans chapter 10, and we're going to drop into verse 11 and read from there through verse 17. And, and I know that we are parachuting into a, a deep, deep passage, but that's what time allows for, and it's what we're going to do. So bear with me, if you will, and let's read God's Word together. It says in verse 11, For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? 
how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your holy word. God, preserved by your power down through the centuries that we would have the privilege of laying it across our laps. The words of the eternal God, the promises of a faithful Lord, the assurance of our hope in Christ. We thank you for the time that we have together to look at your word. And I, I just ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would minister in our understanding. Lord, for we know that what we learn is not based in our intellect and our ability, but it comes as a gift of your Spirit. Lord, minister to us. Help us, Lord. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 10, 11 through 17. The background there, Paul is laying out for us in the entire book of Romans a beautiful systematic theology that talks in the beginning about the sinfulness of man. It talks toward the middle about his provision for that sinful problem in Christ. And then in the rest of the book, it, it talks about how Christians ought to live in light of the truth that he has shared. And in chapter 10, we're right in the middle of his explanation to the church at Rome about how this whole Jew, Gentile, how, how all that stuff works together. He's explaining the relationship of God's promise to Israel and his provision for the Gentile. And in this passage that we look at this morning, I want us to see just briefly three important truths that when understood should form in us a missional mindset that cannot be deterred. Missions must flow from God's word. Missions can't be an effort of our emotional response to anything. It, it must flow from God's word. And I believe this passage in the context of the entire book and in scripture in general would form in us a missional mindset. First thing we see in verses 11 through 13, we see the universal antidote. If you notice, he says that in, in verse 11, Scripture says, that gives what is about to be said, uh, complete and total authority. Scripture says, he, everyone rather, who believes in him will not be put to shame. The universal antidote, belief in Christ. It goes on to say there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you hear it? Do you hear the universal antidote? It's not behaving better. It's not doing better. It's not working harder. The universal antidote is belief in Him. It is trust in Him. It's for the Jew, for the Gentile. Belief in Christ. Belief in His sinless life. Belief in His sacrificial death. Belief in His victorious resurrection. Belief in His eternal reign. It's not reserved for the special, and about that I am so grateful. This universal uh, antidote is effectual for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Along with this universal antidote, we see a universal 
predicament. The question then becomes, how will they be saved then? How can they be saved? And he answers this in the following verses. He says in verse 13, how will then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? Do you hear Paul's heart? He said, This salvation is it's available, it's been made available to all. But the question then, the predicament is, how will they hear? How do we get this to them? Again, let's go back to a pandemic. How is it that this cure can be delivered? It's a missional mindset. We move on to the third thing, and we're moving through this. I could spend two weeks on this passage, or three or four, to be honest. But we move rather quickly to see the universal provision. The universal provision in those following verses is a preacher. You know, God's plan for reaching the lost world is profoundly simple, but we try to sometimes to make it more difficult than it is. He answers the question of how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? Preaching. Notice, he does not say that we're talking about a preacher. We are using a verb, and the act of preaching is how the lost world is going to be Reach. So who is this person who is preaching? Who is it that will preach? It is somebody who's available. Somebody who's willing simply to tell this lost world who this Jesus is. Somebody willing to tell this lost world what Jesus has done. Somebody that's willing to tell how they can be saved from their sin. To fulfill what Paul's writing about here, you don't need a seminary degree. You don't need a Bible college degree. All you need, and I believe this is the hardest part to come to, is a genuine concern for the well-being of those that have been infected by the virus of sin. A missional mindset. How do we come to a missional mindset? It's to understand the severity of the situation that we're facing. I think the application and the implications of the passage are pretty clear. But I offer these questions. Trust me, I've challenged myself with them long before I bring them before you. But would we be available to administer the antidote? Would we be willing to share the life-saving news of a Savior? Not out of a sense of duty, but out of concern and compassion for those that are sick. Our nation has asked us to self-contain, to not meet in groups of more than 10, and that is appropriate for the virus that we're facing. But one of the issues with the American church is when it concerns the gospel and the need for healing that exists out there, we are tempted to self-contain with the good news of Christ. I would challenge us to roll up our sleeves and get out among the sick and to spread that cure, for it is every bit as infectious as the disease that it cures. I read and studied this passage several times in my life, but in 2010, God really allowed this passage to 
leap off the page. It's a missional memory, if you will. 2010, I had submitted to pastoral ministry, and I was pursuing a degree to that end. We lived right here in West Tennessee, right here in Tipton County, and this was by... By all measures, this was our home. This was where our business was. This was where all of our friends were. This was where the majority of our family was. This was the place that we imagined spending the rest of our lives in, and certainly our ministry lives in. This was home. One day, I think late in 2010, I got an email. I was studying through Liberty University, and this email challenged with one simple question that changed our lives. It said, have you considered sharing your faith in a place where you would be considered a cult member? And I don't know how to really explain what happened at that moment other than to say immediately there was a switch that was flipped. I took that email out and I read it to Jennifer and shared it with her and her response was, let's go, let's go. So a switch was flipped in her as well. Prayers were prayed and a trip was planned. In summer of 2011, so roughly about eight months after receiving this email, our church, Cornerstone Community, also here in Tipton County bought us a plane ticket, and we set aside 10 days that we were going to go over to the region that included eastern Idaho, western Wyoming, southwest Montana, and kind of northern Utah. We didn't know exactly where we would land, but we felt that the Lord was directing us out there. So Jennifer and I went, and we spent those days, we spent those days walking and praying and talking to people and meeting with pastors and Throughout that 10 days, we left that place. We were homesick on two sides. We could not wait to get home to our children and our business and our life here. But all at the same time, as we went home to our family, we were even more homesick to get back to eastern Idaho. The switch was flipped and the trip had taken place. And what we saw... I'll just explain to you in terms of what we've come to know about Rigby, because Rigby is absolutely a representative community of eastern Idaho. Here's what we saw. We saw a little town of 4,000 people, much like little towns around here, Tipton County. Around that little town of 4,000, within a five-mile radius of my house, which is outside of Rigby, there are 20,000 people, roughly, according to the census data. What we also saw was out of that 20,000 people, as we considered the churches in town and the number of evangelicals, best number we could come up with was about 100 of those involved in an evangelical church in Rigby. Now, some of that 20,000, I don't know the number, will commute to Idaho Falls for a church there, but even if we were to factor them in, it's still a very small percentage. What we saw in Rigby was zero Southern Baptist churches. Now, if we could just imagine right here in Tipton County, if we took a community of 20,000 people, I wonder how many Southern Baptist churches would be there, let alone how many evangelical, Bible, gospel-believing churches. 
Zero Southern Baptist. In Rigby, there is a very old Presbyterian church. There is a independent fundamental Baptist church, and there is a Lutheran church. Zero evangelical churches. The reason being 94% of the population of Rigby and and other communities like it are 94% Mormon. I'll refer to them as LDS. 94%, that means 94 out of 100. That means if 100 people die, 94 of them at least separated from God to spend eternity in hell. Jennifer and I, we couldn't believe that this kind of lostness existed in our nation. Less than 1% of Rigby is evangelical, and by International Mission Board standards, that would mean an unreached people group. In Rigby, Idaho, one of the most patriotic one of the most family-oriented, one of the most politically conservative, one of the most morally conscious communities, less than 1% would know Christ. We had to do something. So on October 15th of 2012, now this is just about two years from that email, We unloaded our lives. We backed into our driveway in Rigby, Idaho, and unloaded our lives there. That was just the beginning. Just just under a year later, on October 13th of 2013, we launched what was known as Faith Baptist Fellowship with four other families. We met in a little senior center there in Rigby that we rented for a whopping $15 a week. And we moved church in and we moved church out each Sunday. The Lord worked, and we were able in those four years to baptize four people, one of them being my son Ethan. He was the first to be baptized, Faith Baptist Fellowship. We hosted mission teams to do VBS, to do construction projects, to do door-to-door evangelism, to wash cars and share the gospel, to do and to do and to do. We worked for Faith Baptist Fellowship. We saw the Lord working But something was missing. Something was not quite right. Our congregation shrank to a regular attendance of about 12 people. The giving went down, and it became clear that Faith Baptist Fellowship was not having an impact on Rigby, Idaho. So I sought the Lord, and I began to pray, Lord, what is it? What should we be doing? Have I missed something? He led us to what we now call South Fork Outdoorsman Church, to close down Faith Baptist Fellowship, leave that closed for a season, and then relaunch as something new. Why South Fork Outdoorsman Church? You see, part of what missions is, is not just taking a church from your culture and transplanting that church into another culture, but it's going into another culture and understanding them and then planting a church 
with that culture in mind. In Rigby, Idaho, that's exactly what we did. You see this community, when the snow melts and the sun comes out, they are gone. They are camping. They are horseback riding. They're quad riding. They are hunting. They're fishing. They are very creative in their recreation. And we had been fighting against that. You see, to ask them to come to church every Sunday was to ask somebody that works five days a week to give up half of their summer off to come to church. So we, led by the Lord, I believe, launched South Fork Outdoorsman Church to, instead of fight that part of our culture, to work with and embrace that part of our culture. In November of 2017, I met with those remaining 12 people and shared with them what South Fork Outdoorsman Church looked in my little brain, and we prayed. And that group of 12 grew to a group of eight. Two families left. It was difficult, but we began to prepare for launch, that group of eight people. And then comes May 6, 2018. So this is just five months after the close of Faith Baptist Fellowship and, and the relaunch or the first meetings of South Fork. We launch our public service, out South Fork Outdoorsman Church. Who we are, what is South Fork Outdoorsman Church? You know what? If you took away where we meet, if you took away what time we meet, if you took all that stuff away and just came in, you would say this is a church like Beaver Baptist Church, I think. But what makes us South Fork Outdoorsman Church is we meet on Sunday evening. Remember I said that the community was gone all weekend? We've removed that as an excuse. If you don't want to come, that's fine, but you're not going to be able to say it's because we were still camping. We meet in a different location. It's an old ATV repair shop that we put carpet in and built a stage and there are deer heads all over our walls and bear rugs up on the wall and and that's just who we are. It's a casual atmosphere. I tell people, if you are planning to leave your junk outside, don't come in because this is a church where we want to deal with junk together. We do contextually relevant activities. I used to not like that word relevant, but when considering the context of our culture, I think it fits. These are campouts, fireside service outside in our park, parking lot, service down at Rigby Lake, which is just a quarter mile from us, sports camp, wild harvest potlucks, etc. That group of eight that began to meet with us, has grown to a group that just week before last was 42 people meeting with us at South Fork Outdoorsman Church. In just under two years, we've baptized four adults, all adults. We're counseling two more right now, one teenager and one other adult for baptism. Youth group has swelled to a couple weeks ago, it was 18 kids in youth group and Faith Baptist Fellowship. The youth was two, and those were my kids, Ethan and Emma. But the important part, South Fork Outdoorsman Church, here's what's happening there, is the gospel is being preached and disciples are being made. You see, the mission is the same. The skin is different. The gospel is being preached and disciples 
are being made. You see, we believe that we are embracing a missional mindset that comes from the Scripture, a missional mindset that recognizes the severity of the lost condition of our community, and we're seeking to do something about it. We are excited for the partners that have come up alongside us to do that. And Beaver Baptist in the last year has become a huge part of our support network. The team that was sent out last year was really second to none. I, 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 do, I have to admit, I say that every year, but really, that one was one of the best teams we've ever had. And we, are, we could not do it without. Couldn't do it. So the question that I'm sure many are asking in partnership is what can we do for you? What can you do for us? Number one, pray. These are going to be the, first of all, these are going to be, spoiler alert, every missionary is going to give basically these same three things that you can do for us, okay? So those, that, that's them. Pray for us. That is number one, first and foremost. The others are giving and coming. And those are important, but those do nothing without the first, which is praying. There's nothing greater that anybody could do for us than to carry our church before the throne of God and to pray. Pray that he would grow up leaders. I need elders to come alongside me. Pray that he would save souls. Pray that he would disciple young believers. Pray that he would even grow their pastor. You could give to the work. It's something you could do. Financial support. We are NAM-supported missionaries, and, and this is what NAM thinks about our ministry, is their three-year program is now on its seventh year of providing for our ministry, and we're thankful for them. But that's waning. So giving the way that Beaver has given is important to us. One of our just... Very physical needs right now is chairs. I mentioned 42 people in a church with 50 chairs. That's full. So we want to purchase those stackable cushion chairs that we could fit more into the space. We believe we could get 75 chairs in our building comfortably. We need chairs. The third thing you could do, you could come on a mission trip. You could come on a mission trip. Just come and see Rigby. What I know is that you will most likely fall in love with that community and you will want to come back. The kids will grab your heart and they will not let go and you will want to come back. But mostly and finally, what we're asking you to do is to join us as we fight that pandemic, the pandemic of sin in our little part of the world. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you so much for, for your love, for your grace, and for your mercy. Lord, it would have been right, it would have even been good for you to leave us alone in our sin, to bear the punishment of separation from you. But God, your word says that even while we were sinners, you sent your son to die for us. God, thank you for Christ and for salvation for this undeserving sinner. 
God, we thank you that that message is not just reserved for me, it's not just reserved for us, but it is one that is to be proclaimed and that everyone who believes in it can be saved. God, I pray that you would help us to see the pandemic of sin around us and respond biblically by sharing the cure of Christ. Lord, move in such a way that we will be responsive to you. Lord, I thank you for Beaver Baptist Church and what you are doing here to raise disciples, what you're doing here to save lost, what you're doing here to send out on mission fields all around the world. God, I pray that you would bless this church, that you would provide financially. Lord, that you would provide the people. Lord, and that you would continue to provide the vision. God, I thank you for the partnership that we have together. Thank you for co-laborers in Christ. God, I pray that you be glorified. It's in God's name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Scott. I appreciate that good word. Um, one thing I can say about Pastor Scott, we're getting to know him better, and we're excited about him being here this week. Um, but, but I'll say this about Pastor Scott. We were... Um, going to record this message because he's going to be leaving tomorrow uh, to go back to Idaho. But then we have all those that know him showed up uh, today at church. Uh, so we have the Billings family, the, the Shankles are here, um, and several others are here um, to hear him preach. That says a lot about him, but we're glad he's here. Pray blessings on their life and their ministry in the next few months uh, as they minister through this crisis. Um, I do want to remind you We'll be here in the church office uh, Monday through Thursday. If there's a need that you know of that's not being met, uh, please uh, let us know. Your small group leaders will be in contact with you. We will uh, be having uh, live stream services on Sunday at 1030. Uh, and so if there's a need that you have, um, let us know. If not, we'll be here on Sundays to record these messages and send them out to you via Facebook Live and, and on our website as well. Uh, we're going to have a benediction. Uh, we're going to sing a song together uh, after I pray. Uh, so let's do that this time. Father, we thank you for Pastor Scott. We pray blessings on his life and Miss Jennifer. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would use them mightily in their city. Thank you for the calling on their life, the burden they have uh, for spreading the gospel to those who've never heard it. We ask that you would open the eyes and ears of Mormon peoples in Rigby. Raise up uh, men to be elders and leaders and teachers of your word from that congregation. We pray blessings on their life. Lord, we pray as we form our team and, and even amidst uncertainty as we prepare to go this summer that Lord willing, will be used mightily there to partner with them. And we pray that you'd meet their needs financially and all the, the needs of our family. Father, use us here in our communities and in our workplaces, Lord, to be prayerful people, prayerful for those in Rigby that need to hear the gospel, prayerful for this sweet church. Lord, may we send uh, monies that are needed, and Lord, may we send people out to do your work. Bless us, use us in a mighty way in Jesus' name.